for the fight of faith, to trust God and to do what he says, uh, to believe him and obey him, and also uh, the battle for our minds, because the, the, the battle is fought out in our thinking, because as, as we think, so we behave. And so it's a battle for our minds, and we've been through those things quite a few times. Today we're coming to the end of the chapter, the passage, we're going to read it in a moment, and we come to the last few verses of the passage which talk about prayer, or as many Puritans and commentators have said, all prayer, all prayer. And some say it's a weapon, but uh, it's certainly part of this whole passage on warfare. It's not an afterthought, it's not an extra chuck-in thing. Oh, by the way, pray. The, prayer is the key to the battle. Amen. Having said that, I'm going to be very honest with you, I, I feel very unqualified to talk about prayer. I, I do not regard myself in any way as a great prayer or prayer warrior. But I will try to do my best to explain the scriptures to you. Is that okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, give us, we pray now, the Holy Spirit, to hear and to understand. For we are by nature those who have deaf ears and closed hearts. But we pray that by your grace you will give us open ears and open hearts to hear your word, to respond to it, to ask for grace to obey it so that we are fully equipped to pursue this fight of faith for the honour of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ephesians 6 verse 10 Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle, I prefer the, the literal version there, the King James is slightly more literal. For we wrestle not, and it is wrestle, that's the word, wrestle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. We'll come back to that verse a bit later. For this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, the day that trouble comes, the day that's really, really difficult, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith. And with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which is a short version of Thessalonians. It says, take up the helmet of the hope of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Then we come to this final one, which isn't armor, it isn't a weapon, but it is absolutely essential in pursuing this conflict. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance. That's keeping on, keeping on. And intercession for all the saints. Oh, okay. I haven't done the last few bits. And pray for me also, he goes on to say. Let me just write, give it to you. And pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I'm an ambassador in chains. That's interesting, isn't it? 
you don't chain up ambassadors, you get into a lot of trouble. But he was an ambassador for Christ in chains at that time. Pray that I may, may, may be bold enough in him to speak as I should. So since last October, we, we started into uh, this section of Ephesians. We looked at the battle for the mind, which is also the fight of faith, fight the good fight of faith. Our strength is in the Lord himself. Our enemies are the flesh, the world, and the devil. Uh, we looked at the heavenlies, three heavens in Bible language. The first is the atmosphere, the second is the universe, and the third is beyond physics and science altogether. It's the presence of God. Third heaven, the highest heaven. Then we've gone into the armour of God, which were, as we've gone through, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ, shield of faith, uh, the gospel of peace. Done the wrong way around there. <laughs> faith is a shield. No, sorry, I wrote them down. I wrote them, read them wrong. Faith is a shield. I still like that picture. That's, a, that's fun. Um, the helmet of the hope of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Last week, by the way, Jack preached and did a great job, so I'm very appreciative that I was at Epping for the morning. Today, we're looking at prayer. Verses 18 to 20 are not a change of subject. They're a completion of this topic of our warfare. I've previously talked about the difference between the war zone, where the battle happens, bullets, blood, bombs, all of that, yeah? Sounds like life, doesn't it? Okay, and the war room, where the war is pursued, but there's no bombs there, there's no blood there, there's no bullets there. But that's where the change happens. That's where the planning comes about. That's where the decisions are made and are issued so that the war is pursued and won. And we are invited, I'm going to give you my headline right now rather than later, we are invited right now, to use prayer to enter into the war room. Now, I know there's a movie about that. That's fine. It's a good movie. But I'm just borrowing the, the, the title this morning. We are invited into the war room where we may make requests and hear from our master so that we can then pursue the battle in the war zone. Verses 18 to 20 take us from the war zone to the war room and back to much of what we've previously read in Ephesians. Prayer is not given an analogy of armour or weaponry because it's not just for the battlefield. It's far more than a tool for emergencies. In Colossians, which is a parallel letter to Ephesians, Paul doesn't talk about armour and weapons, but he does talk about prayer. Devote yourselves also to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Now let me go back... First of all, to verse 12 of Ephesians 6. Let me remind you of the way <clears throat> that the early church fathers, which were all Greek-speaking men, Chrysostom and so on, and Athenaeus, this is how many of them understood that verse, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavens. It isn't saying... There are spiritual forces of evil inhabiting the third heaven which need to be evicted. It's saying that's where we wrestle against them. And the analogy that's helpful there is the war room rather than the war zone. 
we enter into the war room to wrestle against those enemies, but we're not fighting the enemies there directly. We're not trying to drive demons out of God's throne room. It's nonsense. It's not true. So that's how I understand that verse, relying on some of the early uh, preachers and teachers. Here's what Paul has already written about the highest heaven, the third heaven, the throne room of God. It is where, Ephesians 1 verse 3, where our blessing in Christ is made secure. We are accepted in Jesus. Ephesians 1.20, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then in chapter 2 verse 6, where we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it's the same word as we wrestle in the heavenly places. the same word. Where the wisdom of God is published to the authorities, through the church. The, God issues his directions, issues his commands, and they are published through the church to every authority, human and demonic. Then, in chapter 6, it's where we pursue the contest against evil powers. But then it's, then it's not that they're there needing to be fought there. But there is where, in the war room, we pursue the battle. That's the image that these scriptures give to us. So 18 to 20 of chapter 6 are telling us that we are wrestling in prayer. Wrestling in prayer. Praying to God our Father through Jesus. And wrestling some things through there. There are two different positions set in Ephesians 6. The one is an earthly position. Our earthly position is we're in a battle. And we stand firm in this war zone. Put on God's armour. We resist our enemies. Contend with them. Flesh, world, devil. Moving ahead with the gospel. Earthly position. A heavenly position is to enter into the war room, the throne room of God, and to wrestle in prayer so that we overcome ourselves and the world and the devil, and we pray for others, and we pray for the increase of the kingdom of Jesus Messiah. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In prayer. We're, con- we're pursuing the battle, but not by fighting our enemies directly, but by wrestling these things through before God in prayer. You might think, well, wrestle's a strong word, isn't it? Well, those two things were happening, by the way, the heavenly and the, the kind of the earthly. In Exodus 17, you remember from many weeks ago, and I talked about this, Joshua and the Israelites were in the valley fighting the Amalekites, but Moses was on the hillside lifted, with his hands lifted in prayer to God. And so long as Moses' hands were lifted, the Israelites were winning. Now, we have a greater than Moses. We have Jesus who makes intercession for us. But that doesn't mean we don't join in with him. That we don't partner with him in that. That we are praying for the success on earth of things that are commanded in heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth. That's a warfare prayer, folks. People say, oh, I've written, you need to use this warfare prayer. I've got one. I've had it all my life. It's called the the pattern prayer, the the Lord's prayer. (laughs) You know? Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Deliver us not into temptation. Don't deliver us into trial, but deliver us from the evil one. If that isn't way making, pursuing the war, I don't know what is. I'm deafening myself because these things... (laughs) Um, So you've got that image there. Joshua in in the valley, Moses on the hillside. We get to do both. 
It's an imperfect image of us because we are actually doing both. We are fighting it out, blood and bullets, but we're also entering into the throne room of God to wrestle before him for his kingdom to be established, for our, our, our troubles to be overcome, for our friends to be saved, for all these things. Wrestling in prayer. Our supply from the war zone for the war zone comes from our time in the war room. You need help from God before you fight the battle. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus did it again and again. When he had big decisions to make, when he had big things to face, he spent the night in prayer before he went and did it. He spent the night in prayer before he pointed the twelve. He didn't sit down with a piece of paper and we figured out, oh, plus and minus, you know, he's good at that, and now he's sheet, you know, but he spent the night in prayer and then he called the twelve and appointed them to be apostles. Our battles really are settled, not in the war zone, but in the war room. I need to say something more about this wrestling in prayer. You see, I talked about it before, but Rachel wrestled with her sister Leah over her childlessness, but she says, she distinctly says, I wrestled with God and with my sister. So she was talking to God about this. She was contending, if you like, with the Lord about why, why, why is she having the babies and not me? Yeah? There was a wrestling. I don't know how polite it was, <laughs> her wrestling, but she was wrestling with God. Jacob wrestled with God, or actually, literally, God came and wrestled with him at Bethel. And in Colossians, Paul writes this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always, and again, the literal word is wrestling. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. This dear brother, who's one of yours, he's from, from your town, he, he never stops wrestling for you in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. But, first, but mostly, I need to point you to Jesus. See, Jesus was in the battle zone when he was in the wilderness. He resisted the devil, overcoming his temptations using the word of God, yes? But in Gethsemane, Jesus was wrestling in prayer to accept the last day of his mission, this cup, this terrible cup, to have the sins of the world laid upon him and then bearing them to be agonized, crucified and die. And he spent that night wrestling in prayer. Prayer is sometimes work, it's sometimes struggle, which is why our flesh doesn't like it. We wrestle in prayer with ourselves, with our unbelief, with our disobedience. We talk to God about it and ask him, please, more grace, Lord, please help me find it. We struggle to believe God and depend upon him. We wrestle with our lack of faith and obedience. We fight for faith in God. Like the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, increase our, you know... Help my unbelief. And the disciples, when he rebuked them about their faith, they, 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 they said, It'll increase our faith then, please. Those are honest prayers. Then we're wrestling against the unbelieving world, for that world and for that world, that people we know, not just generally, but people we know, we care about, should be one to God through his grace, to faith in Jesus. At the same time that we're battling our inward enemies, the appetites of our eyes and 
uh, uh, bodies and the proud human nature. The world is telling us all the time to keep on indulging them. It's all right. Everybody does it. We struggle to overcome the way that our particularly unbelieving society thinks and behaves and the things they take for natural and normal, which we cannot accept. We're asking that the Lord's name be honoured, that his kingdom comes and his will is done. We contend for God's covenant and kingdom to advance in us and through us to the world. Because bear in mind, if the world's going to change, we have to change. We have to be the salt and light. We have to be the example. We have to set the agenda. We have to make the progress, bring the influence. We can't pray, just, just, just do something to them. It always starts with us. And make no mistake, when you pray for someone uh, to be born of God through faith in Jesus, that's a, that's a miracle you're asking for. They're being transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God's Son. Uh, they, they're saved from themselves and the world of the devil, not by their efforts, but by God bringing mighty power through the Holy Spirit to bear upon them. So, you know, you're not praying a small thing when you pray for someone to become a Christian. You're praying for God to do a miracle on them. Now, none of us actually want to wrestle in prayer. It's very contrary to our wishes. But if we see Jesus himself doing it and telling us that we need to, we need to pay attention to his example and teaching. I'm given a quote there from a man called uh, uh, James Philip. That, you know, when, G- when we see Jesus praying, when we see Jesus doing this, he's, not, he's doing it for us, yes, but he's also doing this as an example to us. He's an example that we should follow in his steps. Now, prayer is a huge subject, and I don't feel qualified to talk about it, but I'll give you what, what it says here in Ephesians 18 to 20. So, first of all, pray because we are in this battle of the mind, the fight for faith, and we need to pray. John Piper says this, Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Until you realize you're in the battle and prayer is one of the most important things you need to get through. Paul says, pray at all times. Pray at all times. When you're in trouble, when you're not in trouble. When you're not in trouble, pray you don't get into trouble. And by the way, there's something about human nature, the kind of twisted way it goes, Many of us don't do as well when we're successful and when things are easy as when we're in trouble. We depart from the Lord. Ham to Israel. Got in the promised land, everything's good. They've got the honey, they've got the milk, they've got the wine, they've got the bread, and everything's good. And let's just forget about him. We don't need him anymore. Yeah? So actually... Many of us need a good dose of some sort of pressure a good deal of the time to keep us on track. So don't you think, why am, why am I always... Well, actually, you know, God knows what we are, what we're, what we are like. Right? And if it went too easily for us, we would soon forget him. If 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, pray constantly. Did you know that's one whole verse? <laughs> pray constantly. In every situation, when you're in the battle, when you're away from the battle, the Bible really doesn't tell us to pray without pausing, like, and certainly not without listening. 
But it tells us to pray constantly, consistently. Don't give up praying. Pray at all times, in every situation, the good ones, the bad ones. This is just what the Lord Jesus did. No part of our life should be faithless and therefore should not be prayerless. Let me say again, when you think you're doing okay, you may, take, you may leave off praying because you don't think you need to. That's a, that's, that's, that's a foolish thing to do for every one of us. Good old John Bunyan said, pray often. For prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Secondly, Paul says, not only pray at all, pray at all times, but he says, pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. To pray with the help and inspiration of the Spirit. He is our helper. Romans 8 says, and the Spirit joins us to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings and he who searches the heart, hearts knows the Spirit's mindset on this because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Um, but then the Holy Spirit also inspires us to pray. Pray in the, We pray in the Spirit. We let some of what he has in his mindset, in his wishes, in his longings, in his interceding, get into us. How do we do that? Well, you can be inspired in prayer, and you can do that particularly through praying in tongues. Let me go back a minute. Sorry, I've gone too fast. Praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 Paul talks about tongues and prophecy and here's one of the things he says there as part of his conclusion. If I pray in another language, I pray in tongues, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit. Now there, that directly means praying in tongues because that's the context. And I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit. Again, the context is in a different language in tongues and I will sing with my understanding. Let me be practical about this. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues, he inspires us to speak in tongues. But when we do so, we're accessing something that is in the mind and heart of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you exactly what not only I found, but many, many people have found. That when you pray in tongues, understanding begins to form. You get a longing, you get a feeling, you get a picture of something, and you can then pray with understanding, having been inspired by the Spirit. Your understanding gets some light because you are working with the Holy Spirit. Paul says pray in or with the Spirit. Jude 20 says pray in the Holy Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Spirit and you don't know how to speak in tongues, please let me suggest again, seek him for that. Because there's something about about life in the Spirit that we need to be accessing together. There's strength. Many times I don't know how to pray. So I say, well, here I am, Lord, I'm just going to pray in tongues. And and then as you do so, you begin to see something. That's exactly what Paul is saying there in Corinthians 14. If we will start to pray and look and listen for his help, the Holy Spirit will come and help us to pray. Then, Scripture says, pray with every prayer and request. Every kind of asking. Pray, by the way, old English word, just means ask. It just means ask. 
Philippians 4 verse 5. The Lord is near. Now many of you know this verse. You could quote it to me. You've even got little, little cards I printed for a ladies thing. Sometimes. Some of you still got those cards. There's one in the kitchen. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That verse has three different words there for ask. Prayer, petition, request. (laughs) And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, beyond logic, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, and whatever is fruitful, good and holy and good. Think on these things. Because so, it's a battle for your mind. This, praying, not being anxious and praying about everything and filling your mind with, with the right things is part of this battle for your mind. Yes. Charles Spurgeon said, turn everything that is a care into a prayer. If it bothers you, pray about it. Here's a longer quote. Making prayers... That's the scripture again, then, like that business card thing. Making prayers, requests, petitions, supplications. That's a series of words. And actually, they imply stronger, more urgent, more repeated asking. Jesus tells us repeatedly, particularly in John's Gospel, to ask in prayer. And I've mentioned it before, but one of the errors of recent decades is people teaching against what Jesus said. Oh, you don't need to pray. You just need to decree and declare. Just prophesy so I'm just going to rub out whole pages of the John's Gospel, am I, because of you? No. No. This preacher's not for turning. My friends, the scripture says that we do not have because we do not ask. So I think there's something very wicked in teaching that says you don't need to ask. Because we end up not having. Right? I know I'm being stern about it. Jesus says to some, a lot of his teaching on the subject, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. We need to be asking. Asking again and again. And then thanking God for his provision and his help and his supply. You may not be able to read all of that, but it's by F.B. Mayer. The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. That we haven't bothered to ask. Not just praying against things. Now, I know it says we wrestle against, but let's be careful about this. We're not just praying against the drugs trade, we're praying for something that overthrows it, that overcomes it, that people find reason for living, they find hope for life. Yes? We're not just praying against abortion. We're praying that the value of life will be treasured and that children will be treasured. You know, sometimes we, we, there's, there's this kind of ways we drop into praying because people do it all the time. And we come against or pray against, well, what, do you, what do you want instead? What do we want instead? What good value do we want to see in its place? See, we need to be praying for some things which contend with other things. For marriage, which contends with broken marriages and, 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 and you know single parent families because one partner's gone away. All that kind of stuff. We're not just contending so to defeat something, we're to want to see something positive replace it. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of this Brexit debate. Everybody's against everything, but nobody's for something. Yeah? Let us be people who are for something. 
in our praying particularly. This is what we want, not that. For our family, for our friends, for our neighborhood, for our town. This is what we want. God's kingdom of peace and joy and righteousness. Yes? So, this, the little bit of help in a prayer. If you feel you want to pray against something, think for a moment, what do I want instead, Lord? You know, pray for that as well. Okay. Pray. Oh, here's a good one. Martin Luther, you'll like this one. Pray and let God worry. He's paraphrasing Peter, where Peter says, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Then, our scriptures today say, pray and stay alert in this. Pray and stay alert in this. To stay alert is, in Old English, to watch. Watch in scripture means to stay awake, to give up sleep. Fasting is forsaking food to seek the Lord. If you don't seek the Lord, you're only dieting. All right? <laughs> Fasting is forsaking food to seek the Lord. Nothing wrong with dieting. By the way, you should see pictures of John Glass. He's lost over 40-odd pounds. It's like, wow. Check him out. Check out his Facebook page. You'll see pictures of him. He's really gone quite slim. He'll be with us at the beginning of March. Forsaking food to seek the Lord is fasting. Watching is forsaking sleep to seek the Lord. Let's go back again to Gethsemane. I'm finding all sorts of spelling mistakes in my notes. I don't know if you are. <laughs> Some of it was done rather quickly even this morning. Gethsemane. I, 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 I'm not here to talk about Jesus praying in Gethsemane so much as this. When you compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and as he arrives there, in Luke's Gospel, he then says to them, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. He then takes three, uh, uh, James, John, and Peter, and goes further in, away from them. And he says to them, again, watch and pray that you enter into temptation. Three times Jesus prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he's in agony praying this prayer. I mean, talk about wrestling. He's in agony. There are sweats of blood coming onto his brow as he, as he wrestles with the thing that he's giving himself to, the will of God to go to the cross, with the sin of the world. And when he's finished three times over praying that prayer, he comes back to his disciples again, and he says again to them, watch and pray that you do not enter into trial. Such was his care for his disciples. According to the way I've, I've looked at it and studied it the last few days, he says something like this to them three times. Watch. Stay awake. Stay alert. And pray that you may not enter into temptation. The modern version of temptation is trial. Temptation is not just provocation to sin. It's any kind of pressure, any kind of opposition. Everything that comes against you to cripple you, to distress you. The spirit is willing, says Jesus, but the flesh is weak. If the way that you're going to access the help of the Holy Spirit is to pray and ask, then you need to deal with the weakness of your flesh to get the praying done. Yeah? 
Jesus doesn't say the flesh is weak, too bad, you're weak, tough. He says we need to do something about the weakness of our flesh to get the help of the Spirit. Watch and pray. And sometimes you've got to, you've got to give your flesh a good, good hiding. I'm not talking about you know, beating yourself. When you're fasting, you know, any number of times in that day or two days or three days, you say, why am I fasting? Oh, yes, this is why I'm fasting. Shut up. Yeah? And if you're giving whole night to prayer or some hours, hours of the morning to prayer, there'll be moments where, why am I still up? Oh, yes, shut up. I'm doing this. You're bringing a discipline to your human frame, to your flesh, because you're seeking God. Amen. I'm still toying with the idea of having some, uh, having a monthly late night prayer time. I'm kind of daring myself to do it. So if you say, if you dare, I will. If there's two or three of us, come on, talk to me. Let's do it. Yeah. If you say, well, if you're up for it, David, I am too. Let's do it. All right. Something like 9 till 12 or that kind of thing. Previously to that, when Jesus was teaching them about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end, it's a final end of the age and so on, complicated to work it through, he says again to his disciples this. It's in what we call the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus is talking about the end of the age and the end of Jerusalem. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. Pray that when the time comes to run, you can run. It's really simply that. When you see it's time and you know what to do. To escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Be alert and pray at all times. Praying that you may have strength. Now, that's praying for strength before you need the strength. And again, there's something that Jesus is saying to us about being preemptive in our praying, not waiting till the trouble hits, but recognizing I need to be ready for that. I'm preparing now for the test when it comes. If you walk into an examination room and think, okay, now, what do I know about this subject? You ain't going to do very well, are you? You prepare because you know the test is coming. We Christians, many of us are walking through life, go boom, bang, boom. All sorts of stuff is hitting us and we haven't prepared for it. How do we prepare? By praying. Then the scripture says we're to pray with all perseverance, endurance, repetition. Just keep on keeping on. I'm going to go to Luke and some of the teaching of Jesus about this. Notice how Luke... Uh, presents this parable of Jesus to us. He then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. That's what it's about. Got it? Teaching us, his disciples, we're we're those people too, aren't we? That we should pray always and not become discouraged. Not give up after a certain amount of time, thinking, oh, well, I'll leave it now. Here's the story. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God and all respect man. And a widow in that town kept 
kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. What was she doing? She was wrestling with the judge. For a while, he was unwilling. But later, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. So she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Now, God is not that judge. It's an example. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you, he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on the earth? And it really means that kind of faith. Well, he won't if if we all listen to some of those false teachers, that's for sure. Because they tell us not to do that. That's why I I name it and blame it. (laughs) And claim it, I blame it. Name it a bit. That is false teaching. Telling you not to pray, not to ask, not to persist. You don't need to pray more than once because that's unbelief. That is false teaching. Because Jesus says, keep on asking because the answer is coming. Will he, will he not do it? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistent praying faith on the earth? <sighs> well, I'll do my best to preach it and teach it. Because that's what he's looking for. A people who endure in faith so they endure in life. A people who continue in faith so they continue to live by faith. And the two go together. Because in praying, you prepare for living. The war room precedes the war zone. Praying comes at the head of all of those armor and sword of spirit. It's the head of all of those. Because you put on every piece of armor with prayer. And preparation. And people have all sorts of ideas about faith, but Jesus here says that faith asks and asks repeatedly and refuses to give up. Thomas Manton, old Puritan writer, he's commenting on Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. You know, ask and you receive, seek and you find, knock and you answer. He says, if we don't receive by asking, then let us seek. And if we don't receive by seeking, then let us knock. But you don't give up because you didn't get anywhere yet. What is it? People say push, pray until something happens. It's not, it's not too bad, that one. There's a, a, a saying. Pray until something. But don't stop when something starts happening. Keep on. That's what I would want to add to that. Oh, I've got a bit of my answer now. Oh, that's fine. I'll give up. Keep on asking, seeking, knocking. And then the scripture says pray with intercession. For all the saints. Pray with intercession for all the saints. Let me picture to you. I'll do a bit of my silly acting for you. Okay. So I come before the judge and I'm presenting my case and and I'm not very good at it and I I really don't know the law. So I step away and someone comes who is my advocate and he presents my case. And he is heard. In a court of law, we call that a barrister, an advocate, whatever. Or, or, but in prayer, 
that person who's praying on behalf of someone else is an intercessor. An intercessor is not somebody who prays loud and long. And can't wait to tell you about it. It simply means someone who stands in front of another and makes the case for them. They put themselves in the place of someone else and says, Father, please hear me for them. great example of that is 1 John, where John says, if you see your brother a sin that doesn't lead to death, go and ask God for life for him. That's intercession. Lord, my brother's sinning and he's not listening to me. Please give him life, Lord. That's intercession. Standing in the place of someone else and asking God to hear you for them. When you're praying for your unbelieving friends, you're interceding for them. It's not about intensity, it's about taking a stand. Taking a stand. You are willing to place yourself in front of them and plead to God and ask of Him. Paul was consistently praying for all the saints and tells them so in his letters. We have two great prayers offered by Paul in this letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Now let me give you another thing that will probably surprise you. Praying for others is better than praying for yourself. Praying for others is to be preferred to praying for yourself. Do you know why? Because sometimes the more you pray for yourself, the more you do this. You close in on your world. The blinkers go up. You can't see anything but your own situation and your own needs and your own troubles. Let me tell you what happens at the end of the book of Job. Job prayed for his friends. And by the way, the friends were the ones who had been criticizing for the last few chapters, many chapters, bringing false accusations against him. Yeah, let's not, let's not dumb that down. He prayed for his friends, and the next phrase says, and the Lord restored Job's fortune. The breakthrough for Job was not praying for himself the praying, including forgiveness for, let's be honest about this, for his friends. When he prayed for his friends, his breakthrough came. There's something about bearing another's burdens which is to be preferred to bearing your own burdens. It's the way of Christ. It pleases God. So the more sometimes we get wrapped into praying for, for myself, my needs, Actually, the less faith we have because we're, we're, we're descending downwards. We're considering a, 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 a corner. I'm not saying your corner isn't a bad corner and your needs aren't big needs. But if we don't do this and look around us. James 5 says, Confess your sins, faults to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Yeah? The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in this way. One old uh, Jerusalem writer, Samuel Rutherford, I have been benefited, I'd like to say this in the way they spoke in those days, but I'm not trying to explain anything. I have been benefited by praying for others. For by making an errand to God, for them I have gotten something for myself. Let me just translate it for you. When I went to God on their behalf, I actually came back with something for me too. Amen. <laughs> yes. 
self-focused praying leads to more self-focus. And actually, here's another thing. We are conscious of the pressure that we are under, we're conscious of the trial that we're going through. But you know what? If we talk to our friends around us, we will quickly discover a number of us may be going through very similar things at the same time. So we realize it's not about me. There may well be a demonic attack upon us, but it's actually common. There's a few, you know, it's like the flu that's happened. You know, the, what I call the double dose. A few people have had flu. They've started to get better. They comes back again. Well, if that happens to three, three or four people, it's, it's not, you know, this is not just, it's not just personal to you. This is common. And it's something we should pray about together. Because it's affecting a number of us. And if we, but if we don't have those conversations, you know, in a fellowship time, and even in the cafe at the back, in small groups, we don't realize, and we think, it's, oh, it's only me. I'm the only person in the world who goes through this. <laughs> 2 Corinthians says, Paul says, there is no trial that takes hold of you that is not common to man. You are not unique. You're not the only one. They said, one of the devil's lies to make you think you are. Yes. So you do that. Yes. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tried above the point you're able, but will, with the trial, give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And the way of escape is probably prayer and finding his strength and help and grace and so on through your prayer. Here's another comment from... Uh, James Philip, relate your personal battle to the battle. You're part, of a big, you're part of a bigger picture. Strike a blow for the larger cause in your prayer. Pray for others. Pray for God's kingdom. Look at the main strategy of God, not nearly at the one infinitesimal, I said it correctly, part that is your problem. There's a bigger picture. You're part of a bigger family. You're part of a bigger army. And the stuff that's striking many of us simultaneously so when we pray for all the saints we break out of our small corner we break out of feeling like I'm the only person in the world with this I'm the, oh, poor on me, poor on me when we pray for all the saints we are doing ourselves a favour and then finally I didn't think I was going to get through this this quickly pray for gospel kingdom advance when Paul says pray for us, pray for utterance, pray that I'd be given words. What's he praying for? Is it about Paul? No, because when he writes to the Colossians, he uses the word us, not me. It's about the kingdom advance. Even if I'm in prison, let someone else be preaching. But pray the gospel goes out. Pray the kingdom is extended. Jesus' name must be declared. People must come to know him. The gospel must be again and again proclaimed in this world and there are, there are times and there are people who get shut up and cannot proclaim nowadays they can't stop the satellites beaming radio and TV into places around the world and people in what we call Islamic nations nevertheless hear something get hold of something a little trigger, a little seed goes in they have a dream about Isa which is the way that Muslims say Jesus and they begin to believe in him you can't stop the gospel. But let's pray for the advance of the gospel. So the key to the, a nation being changed is not changing the laws. Parliament think they can change people by changing laws. It doesn't do a single thing. 
A people are changed one by one, family by family, household by household, by the grace of God through the gospel. You want to live in a better country? Pray that more people become Christians. You want to live in a better neighborhood? Pray for your neighbors as they become Christians. So we pray for gospel kingdom advance. And we should be doing that pretty much as a daily thing. And then pray God's word. That's not directly here in this passage, I know. But I've been thinking so much about using scripture in praying. For one thing, because if I recognize I'm not very good at praying, I better find some, 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 some tools. <laughs> I better find something that's useful. <laughs> Actually, many, many people talk very honestly about the fact they, they rely very, very much on the scriptures to pray. And whatever you've read that day, you can, you, there's something there you can use to pray. Use scripture as your platform for praying. Bring God's promises back to him in prayer. I've got a few, good few quotes for you here. Thomas Manton, God all purity. One way to get comfort, in other words, God's help, not just comfort, oh, they're there, but it means strength and help, is to plead the promise of God in prayer. I love this bit. Show him his handwriting. God is very tender of his word. But Lord, you say this. You think, well, that's cheeky. No, that he tells us to do it. Bring his word back to him. Lord, I, look, this is Lord, your promise, Lord, and I'm, I, I'm believing it. I'm bringing it back to you. I'm asking you to fulfill your word. Again, there is a way of thinking that says God's promises are unconditional. They just happen anyway, so you don't need to ask for them. I think that's a lie. When we believe, when we see God's promise, we should respond to it with prayer, with a, a believing asking of him. We're asking and believing and trusting in his promise. That's one. Here's another one. William Gurnall, good old William Gurnall. Prayer is nothing but the promise reversed. You're taking the promise that God gave to you back to God. It's God's word formed into an argument and retorted by faith upon God again. Putting God's promise back on God. Lord, you've promised. I've just read it. And I'm believing it. I'm receiving it from you. And I'm asking you, not just, I believe it, therefore it's done, hallelujah. No, I'm asking you to fulfill your word, please. I can't believe how much we've departed from that very simple view of things by false teaching. It's it's such an infection. Bringing the promises of God back to God. Here's another one, another William Gunn. Let me give you the long version. That comes at the end of it. I'll give you the long version. Furnish thyself with arguments from the promises to enforce thy prayers and make them prevalent with God. In other words, successful with God. The promises are the ground of faith and faith when strengthened will make thee fervent and such fervency ever speeds and returns with victory out of the field of prayer. The mightier any is in the word, the more mighty he will be in prayer. So long, let me just add to that, so long as you've made the connection, this book is not just so I go, okay, great, thank you, yeah, wonderful, but I turn it back in prayer. I reply to the Lord with the things that he's saying to me, including, oh, I find that really difficult, oh, God, God, please give me grace, I need to do that. Turn it back into prayer. 
the war room. Prayer is a powerful weapon. The power is in your hands. I like that little... I know that I know, and as we get towards the summer, you can't see the screen very well at all because it gets whited out by the sun. But there, you go. there are no bombs or bullets or blood or bodies in God's war room, but there is struggle. If When you read the book of Revelation... Read it through. I know it's long and I know it's complicated. But if you just read it through, just get the gist of it. You find there's a pattern there. Something happens in heaven which is then poured out on earth. The silence, there's a trumpet sounded. The, 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 the prayers of the saints are poured out. There's something happens and then it's brought to earth. Do we get the picture? Do we get the message? The battles are won in the heavenlies, not because that's where we need to defeat, because demons are there, but because that's where we encounter God and we issue and bring our prayers and we sing our praises and, and God's kingdom breaks out somewhere else because we have entered into his presence to, if necessary, wrestle with him. Secular reason sees a Christian on his knees and laughs at the feeble posture God's child assumes as his enemies descend upon him. Only divine insight can perceive what mighty preparations are actually taking place. So Cowper, some years later, wrote a hymn which has these words in it. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. When we, when we limit praying, we stop fighting. That's what he said. Prayer makes the Christian's armour bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian upon his knees. Do you remember this one? Back in November, I think I used this one. The enemy is not fighting you because you're weak. The enemy is fighting you because you have a purpose. Because you have identified with Christ. You are now his. The Lord of hosts is never defeated, but his people may be defeated at times when they fail to fear and trust and obey him. We come to him in prayer to be prepared and repaired when we've, when we've got bruised and broken and got ourselves into trouble. We come to be repaired and prepared to be encouraged and equipped to ask of him what we could never do without him. That's the thing. It's not God is a little bit extra added on to our pretty successful lives. We could not get there without him. We could not win without him. We would fade. We would fail without his help. Life is war, but God is good. Let me give you just a few more headlines now to close with. Uh, my time is up. When God's warriors go down on their knees, the battle is not over. It has just begun. Someone else says, fight all your battles on your knees. I think I've got the wrong order here. Fight all your battles on your knees. Rick Warren, who wrote you know, a couple of famous books, Purpose-driven life for one of them. Yes, thank you, Carl. Satan tries to limit your praying because he knows your praying will limit him. Yeah. And there's a mystery about prayer, I know, but John Piper puts it this way. God mysteriously weaves the prayers of his people into the way he runs the world. It's how he gets things done. He wants us to pray with him and to him for his will, his purpose, his his, 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 the honour of his name, the, the extension of his kingdom. He wants to pray for those things, even though he purposes them. It's the way he runs the world. Things happen because we pray. We are partnering with God. 
Paul doesn't write these things in Ephesians to some elite group of Christians, to the superheroes. To, do you want some water? I've got some water for you. You got some water. All right. Sorry, Monica. <clears throat> Many of us have had these coughs and colds. These are written to all believers, and they're delivered to us in, as the inspired and preserved scriptures by the Holy Spirit. So they're for us. This is our position in Messiah Jesus. These are the things that are true of us. And Ephesians as a whole is about becoming who we are. Knowing who we are and living like that. We've died with Jesus to flesh, to sin, to death itself. We've been raised with him to a new life. And we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit. We are even now seated with Christ in the highest heaven, the throne room of God. And we there may share with Jesus in this ministry of prayer and intercession. And we receive in his presence the counsel, the strength, the mercy, grace and wisdom to deal with every part of life, even when we are living at times in a fierce war zone. That is who and what we are in Christ Jesus. And every battle is primarily won in the heavenlies as we pray there to our Father and I heard our help and our help because we accepted in Jesus. Some people talk about fighting in the spirit realm, and I can't even get my hand around what they mean by that, really. I don't go along with that. I believe that Ephesians as a whole is telling us that we have an amazing access into the presence of the Most High, and that when we win through in prayer before him, and some of that is overcoming ourselves rather than overcoming something in him, acknowledging that we're more wrestling with ourselves than him, it's then worked out in the battlefield of life, in our lives and in the lives of others. We have access to the war room and the throne of grace. So I, I thought of this last night, literally as we were finishing supper, and I wrote it down. We have access to the war room and throne of grace. Every one of us, we are free to come close, to draw near. We have acceptance there in Jesus. We, we're not trying to buy our way in or persuade him. We have God's attention. His ear is open to our prayer. And we have authority to ask because Jesus gives us that answer. Ask whatever you want in my name that my, I'm, that my Father will be glorified. And so they finish Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, because of all of this, and I haven't got time to go to the context of Hebrews 4, but never mind. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Amen. 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 Amen.